0: This is Inside Work. My name is Robert. And today, we're continuing the conversation that we started in the last episode about the intrinsic value of work. Besides getting a paycheck, why do we show up at work every day? Now, if you haven't listened to that first episode, I'd recommend going back and starting there because today is a natural extension of that. But if you want to start here, that's cool too. The way we did it in that episode and the way we're doing it today is I went out and talked to some of my colleagues around the world about what they value at work. And then I play some clips from those conversations for you and for my two co-hosts, Nick and Amy. So pull up a chair, put on your headphones, and I'll drop you into the episode right now. Let's just kind of pick up where we left off. And just, just for a little refresher, let me play you this. I
1: almost wonder too, is there another category there maybe similar to a calling, but just something that you love doing, right? And and that was the advice. My dad was a, a pilot. He loved flying. Like as a little kid, he flew paper planes and then he was just fascinated with all things having to do with flying. And he was able to turn that into a career as a pilot. And his advice to me was always find something you love doing and then try to figure out how to get paid for it. And that's success.
0: Okay, so from that thought that you were going into there, Amy, Mm-hmm. I thought of somebody that we talked to and she's really fascinating. You know, she works in internationalization and localization and she just loves languages. That's her mm-hmm. thing and mm-hmm. it's something that maybe we don't think about that much especially us who are primarily English speakers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that work that they're doing is really important and she talked about it in in a really insightful way. And she's just a, a fascinating person. You know, her Mother's from French Guiana, Uh, dad is from Paris, I think, and she grew up Mm -hmm. right on the border between France and Germany. So she was exposed to a lot of languages, plus her dad worked in um, the hospitality industry and they traveled all over the place. Mm -hmm. Then she goes and gets a master's degree in Japanese language and history. Wow! So let let me cue something up.
2: I'm passionate about languages, which is a good thing because I'm surrounded by those 22 languages we're working with in the internationalization team. And also I'm surrounded by a fantastic multicultural team and we all have the same passion. So it really makes work easy. My father used to give me books from around the world. And I remember I was eight year old, I think, when I said, that's my favorite book in the world. That that was actually a Musashi from uh, a Japanese author. And I, was, I just remember saying, I need to read that book in the original language. And that is the only thing that will make me happy for the rest of my life. So I was eight years old, so <laughs> I think you see how that goes. But that's when I decided I needed to learn Japanese, for example. And there I went in university some, I think, oh, 10 years ago now. Our work is contribute to enrich the day-to-day work experience with our ServiceNow products for all people around the world that don't speak English and I think we are all part of the history of our languages because uh, as you might know languages are a living thing and so for example when ServiceNow decided to work towards a more inclusive terminology policy that was a few months back uh, and replaced all occurrences of blacklists and such words it was just amazing to work with other languages and try to find the best equivalents that would make sense in each different culture and I think it's just very amazing to be able to influence the way people will talk about certain
1: things and even more when those are things that matters. That's so cool. I, I worked on that project with that team and it it is so neat to think about how language is a changing living, breathing, um, and also culturally representative tool that we all use, right? And I love that first and foremost, she's passionate about languages and landed in this job where she gets to use that passion in an interesting way, and then continue to, to research and grow and learn about how languages change, how they evolve. And then the translation to other countries and the internationalization of our product is, is really interesting. And one of the things I've always found so important about it is it takes a human um you know we have a lot of there's obviously google translate there's a lot of ai based tools that can help you translate a conversation but it's never enough you need to have a human to understand the nuances the cultural relevancy um how something actually works in a different culture um which is so fascinating and goes beyond language but but hearing her passion about that it does it really reminds me too of like if you can find that thing you're passionate about and work in that space it can be so gratifying
3: it, it also reminds me a little bit of the, um, there's some debate about whether or not it was actually Mandela's quote. I know he said something like it, but whether or not it was the exact words, if you speak to a person in a language, they understand it goes to their mind. If you speak to them in their language, it goes to their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, such a great, such a great quote. I wish, I wish I was capable of uttering off things like this, that people say, whoa, that was so eloquent, mm-hmm. but but it, in tech is like, we are like a criminal offender of throwing out a bunch of language that ironically doesn't mean anything to anybody in any language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I hear it in her voice, the, the, the satisfaction that comes with being able to translate some of that and ultimately to look for ways to, to connect with people in a more emotional, uh, in a more emotional way.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we work a lot on voice and tone, um, how you bring that right sense of personality and warmth and humanity through in a digital product is incredibly important. So people feel that it's not cold, that it's not clinical, that they can feel supported in that experience. And and language is one of the primary ways we can do that. Uh, and it, it's interesting, we just brought in a new head of our our product content practice, which is how we document and explain all of our products and Uh, We use that in a lot of our help center materials and things like that. And his introduction to the team was words matter. And that was it. And it really stayed with me because so much of what we do at work has to do with communications and words. And I think today, more so than ever, we're incredibly mindful of the words we use. And I had a conversation with my team, too, about what happens when you use the wrong words, right? And this, this effort to remove triggering and offensive language from our code and from our documentation and from kind of the way we used to refer to things, um, was such an important project. And then at the same time, I think it also, for some adds complexity and how they show up at work and how they communicate and how they select their words. And there's an additional kind of apprehension that can come with that too, about what if I say the wrong thing, will that be okay? Or will it be something I can never recover from?
3: That's a big point, actually. I think that um, language can be both an asset or a liability. Uh, Word choice can be an asset or a liability. And I think a lot of times this search for perfection is, is sets up this false standard and it runs the risk of alienating people because, oh, you know, the perfect way to engage on a topic at work is to do it this way. And anybody who doesn't engage on it this way is wrong. And as a result, we need to shine a, a, a giant spotlight on them being wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you don't actually get the richness of the discussion that goes, that should go with talking about how people try to communicate, you know, certain topics in different ways. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a journey for everybody.
0: There's so many people that I would love to highlight and I I just I'm actually emotionally attached to all these stories and I probably can't use them all or tell them all but you know one wrong in in Singapore is somebody that I just found incredibly inspirational somebody who's early in their career but has a very well-formed uh, sense of purpose and drive that I think informs everything that she does. It's something that I, I personally connected with and I thought I can learn a lot from this. And so I do want to play you her story. So first, I, I, love, I love this that she said about purpose. And I think um, you can reflect on that. And then I'm going to take you back and share some of her family story and her background with you that I think they all connect.
4: Okay, so, so maybe if I could turn that time. So before I joined Now I was actually part of the government, um, Singapore government. So I was, I was one of the policy officers back in one of the ministries. So I really put myself out there to, you know, as a way to see how I can change the world. <laughs> I was really idealistic, right? I mean, I, I still am. So I believe that, you know, oh, whatever work that we do it can really have an impact on people. And I think that's another driving factor that, we are like to highlight as well. Because, you know, I think work is really not just about work and getting your pay out of it, but it's really about the, how much value you can help to contribute back, right? I mean, be it to the society or be it to your customers or your customers' customers. That's one way that, you know, um, I'll be really happy about because at least I know that my work has got some meaning. And that, you know, I'm helping some people in, in one way or another.
0: I'm just going to pause there. You know, I don't know that we're really trying to instruct in, hey, how to find purpose in your work or, you know, how to be happy at work, but rather to just reflect and I'm just reflecting on that idea of mission and purpose, and she has a, a strong sense of mission and purpose. And with Alexandra talking about her work in languages and what that means and what that does in the world, there's a sense of mission and purpose. I, I guess everybody can't always be driven by this, this great clarity in terms of their mission and purpose, but how much, how much better is work or how much more meaningful is work when we can like find a way to connect to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it Not everyone has it. Uh, and I think it's a difficult thing when you don't have it. And we talked about feeling drawn to something and that passion that can come with it. I have one of my best friends, her entire career has felt like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my calling is. I know I like travel. I know I like food, things like that. But she's not been able to figure out how that manifests in a career or how that could be kind of parlayed into an activity. For economic gain. Um, and it's a struggle for for her. And and I wonder if it is for many out there who are in a job, but they don't feel that sense of connection. I definitely for myself, once I could make that connection of, hey, I'm helping other people or this work I'm doing hopefully is bettering the world. It certainly made me feel better about the amount of like time and, and energy I'm putting into that, right? That the the time I'm spending away from my family or you know, not showing up for them, maybe 100% like I could be, you know, I'm at least doing something meaningful to better the world. It's not just a wasted effort. So I know for me, it helps me feel better about that level of dedication to my work.
3: Well, I I definitely think you're right that people, you know, people struggle to find it at various stages of their career, sometimes even throughout their entire career. One thing that bothers me about it is that purpose- why has purpose become cliche? You know, it's almost like when you hear companies talking about purpose, it always seems to take the same shape. And I think that almost undermines the issue. Um, Mm. you know, you can find purpose in, you know, things that you do that are very narrow, um, where if you were to try to ladder it up all the way to, you know, the big picture of how the three of us probably define purpose, it would be pretty Pretty hard exercise, Um, but I I think it goes back to that concept we were talking about: dignity. Um, You know, can you carry yourself in such a way that the work you're doing makes you feel valued for who you are and what you're contributing? Mm
1: -hmm. And then,
3: right? And then, if if what you're contributing eventually ladders up to making the world better, which I think we all sort of innately hope is the case, then great. But but purpose can be a very scalable topic depending on on how people want to connect to it.
0: You know, earlier we met Maya who lives down in Australia, and our conversation right now makes me think of something that she said about how do you find your thing, <laughs> and, and you know you were you were reflecting on that, Amy. How do we how do we go about finding something that will give us that sense of purpose?
2: I realized in recent years, and I think corona probably (laughs) accelerated that, the more inner work you do, the closer you will get to what actually motivates you at work or what you value at work. So, A, I think, yeah, I'm still working on that, but I'll tell you where I am right now. And the other thing is it changes over the time and it's important to not just set it and forget, but actually reevaluate as the time goes and you're moving to different stages of life.
0: What I thought was great about what she said is inner work, introspection mm-hmm. taking taking time to check in with yourself, not just once uh, but periodically over time saying is this is this where I want to be? Is this aligned with what I want in this stage of my life with my current values mm-hmm. um, you know, looming in the back of my mind is that term, the great resignation that we've all mm-hmm. become familiar with. Right. This is just for fun. But um hey, everybody, this is Robert. And what I'm telling Nick and Amy here is to pull up a chart that's related to the great resignation. And uh, you can do the same thing. Just go out to your search engine of choice, type in two words, job quits, Q-U-I-T-S, and it will usually be the second result for the St. Louis Fed. Yeah, I found it. Do you see the the crazy you know twenty twenty part of that chart uh, it, wow, I mean, it's pretty i'm i'm not a I'm not a, a data scientist or anything, but to me, that looks that looks like something meaningful. And I've read a lot about the great resignation and a lot of punditry about whether this is a real thing or not a real thing, and you know who it affects um you know, which sectors of the workforce. there's all kinds of stuff out there. But going back to what Maya said, I think you know, for, for those of us who are in the privileged position of being able to go into a, a job market that's very favorable and having a skill set that allows us to have a lot of options, I think part of what is happening is potentially people have had time and motivation because of what we've all been through to do more of that introspection and to check in with themselves and to ask themselves those questions.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think you know, especially given the um, mundane setting of being at home, you know, it's there's something to that where you feel I need to think about how I escape. <laughs> how do I get out of here? And I, I do feel like changing your job was the one way that people could really own making a change in their lives because they couldn't necessarily leave their house, they couldn't necessarily travel. They couldn't get away from their family sometimes and maybe they wanted to, um, but they could change their job. Mm-hmm. hmm I,
3: I can't get over how how awfully hosty, Robert. You 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 have mm-hmm. blended so nicely into a podcast host. No, like, I I I feel like when you're raising questions, I'm actually listening to a podcast. So <laughs> first of all, that's kind of cool. Um <laughs> second on the great resignation yeah i just would echo hey. amy's point i mean look i love my job i love my employer there are days where i'm oh like god i can't even stomach the idea of staring at these people mm-hmm. um for another day it's like i don't care i don't care if you put me in a zoom or a a, a, a team's meeting with some other group of people preferably just so i could see different faces like everybody just i think inherently wants to see Life that's a little different than pandemic life. Yeah, and jobs are how they're looking to do that.
0: Yep. Yep. I wish that I could have played you everything, you know, the library of conversations that I have in my head here, because like all these things are firing off right now. And as usual, I'm thinking, oh, crud, we, we don't have a lot of time left. So I'm, I'm going to do a couple of things. On this, on this topic of introspection and, you know, finding your thing, it was interesting because there were a number of people who talked about not knowing if they had found their thing or, you know, continuing to ask themselves those questions or to, to listen to themselves. Johanna in Finland was another one who talked about that.
2: Something drove me into, into the bath. So I listened to the inner motivators that i had and go what feels right so i'm really happy about happy about to myself and finding my own thing because in some point i thought that i'm not sure what i want to do or what is my thing but now looking back i have kind of always so. <laughs> known
0: isn't that an interesting thought like I was asking myself these questions. I was on this path and searching, but at some point when I got to the, you know, not the destination, but a waypoint along the journey, I was like, I've kind of always known that this was what I wanted to do, but maybe I wasn't Mm. listening to myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Or realizing I was making decisions that maybe were subconscious. And then I reflect back and I'm like, there's a reason behind it, you know, making those choices or gravitating to something.
3: Don't you, don't you feel like on that note that everything happens for a reason? Amy, in your career, I assume they're looking back on it must be one move or two, Mm -hmm. maybe where Mm -hmm. you're like, at the time you probably like tortured yourself on whether or not it was right. But if you go go back and change it today, who's to say you're here and we're having this conversation.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. When I, I have that thought all the time and uh, it's like that, you remember that movie Sliding Doors? I think it was, came out years ago. And I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow and it was basically like her life works in two different directions. You know, there's a moment in time where she makes a decision and you see the movie progresses where where she has these parallel lives. And I always look back and I think, well, what if I had chosen the other thing at that juncture? Where would I be now? But I know there's nowhere else I would rather be than who I am and where I am today in my life. Um, And that doesn't mean there weren't a lot of highs and lows. You know, there's things I've gone through that I don't know if I would have consciously chosen to do that. But then if it got me where I am, I certainly don't regret it. And it was a good learning experience. But yeah, I mean, I also think careers, ultimately, there's so much luck involved in this. There's so much that we can't control. And and I do think it's like you either have to reconcile it with, there's a meaning behind this, this was meant to be, or this is a fluke. Um, But I think our own active choices are only one part of that equation there's other elements involved that we just can't control.
3: Totally. Totally. And, and look, I guess maybe what I'd say to that is um, going back to like time travel in movies can be the theme, like the debate mm-hmm. in the Avengers movie on whether or not, if you go back in time and you change something, does it, you know, like, how does it work? I, I don't know about you, but I always had to like rewatch that scene to understand mm-hmm. that argument on how time travel works. Right. Um, but, but, The luck that you experience in situations where maybe you needed a little bit of luck or maybe you didn't have any at all and it was bad luck. That is like this journey that you're on and you're on this journey. And because of the choices you make, you end up in those moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And even when it feels in the moment, like it's the absolute best or worst thing that can happen, in retrospect, it was simply like an ingredient in the broader recipe of what you've become.
1: That's exactly and right.
3: I feel like that the more you go in your career, the more you actually look back on it and kind of appreciate that as opposed mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. the earlier in your career, perhaps maybe I shouldn't generalize, but I feel like people are super overzealous about every single thing.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because, because they feel like that will set the stage for the future. And it, when I worked at LinkedIn, it was interesting. We worked on a, a product and it was like a career mapping product, right? So that what we thought is from an aggregate data perspective, we could predict what would happen in your career so that if you started out as an entry-level, say, financial analyst, that we could just tell you exactly how your career would progress. Uh, and we put a lot of time and energy into this product thinking it could predict everyone's future and tell them what to aspire to do next to climb that ladder. And the data wasn't there. Like, it didn't exist. And it was because everyone takes these circuitous find-your-own-adventure Um kind of path through their career that is totally unique, right? (laughs) No one career matches another. Um, And so it was really an eye-opening thing for all of us. And I was, you know, kind of at that moment in my career too. I was like, well, yeah, of course I start out as a associate designer and then I'll be a designer someday. And then maybe a senior designer. And I just thought that was the path. Um, And it just turns out that that is rarely the case for anybody. Um, But I think it's hard for people earlier in their career to, to understand that and to kind of go with the flow when those pivots happen.
3: Mm-hmm. I suspect if you ran the LinkedIn data methodology on Robert Blackett when he was uh, uh, back, uh, well, when were you a solutions consultant service now? Two years ago? Um, yeah, a
0: year ago ish.
3: Uh, I'm pretty sure that algorithm wasn't going to turn out that he's a podcast host. Just, right. just <laughs> why not <don't
0: you> guess? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's true. I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm the poster child for you know. Never quite figured it out, and mostly going with the flow at this point. Uh, you know, Maya talked about the the this a little bit in her own journey, and she said sometimes I felt like, you know, am I on a logical path? She didn't say those words, but something along those lines. And she said it's almost like there's this, you know, this this bowl that's being filled up, but it's being filled up drop by drop, and it, it's 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 going to fill up. But you can't really see the progress, um, you know, if you're staring at it all the Mm -hmm. time. But if you step Mm -hmm. back and you stop worrying about it, eventually it's going to fill up. Eventually, your journey and your career is going to take you where you need to go. Um, You know, and on that on that topic of career change or uh, realizing maybe it's time to do something different and just this conversation around the great resignation, We have somebody who's one of our colleagues who I think has a really relevant and interesting experience here. He actually, and his name is Randy and he lives down in Orlando. And he actually became a corporate litigator when he came out of law school. And he went to law school with, with fairly idealistic, you know, approach to things and he really wanted to make a difference. And he quickly figured out, this is not the place for me. Not, not that it's a bad career. He made sure to say that there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't the place for me. It wasn't the place that um, gave me that sparkle in my eye, as he put it. And he talks about this sort of epiphany encounter that he had with a friend. I talked to a really close friend of mine who was having similar struggles at work. And he said something, Robert, that just really resonated with me. He said, I feel like I am too smart to be this unhappy. And oh my goodness, that opened up in my head, right? The conversations I'd had with my family growing up, the fact that I always looked for the sparkle in somebody's eye before kind of making them a mentor of mine. And if if I'm quite honest with you, I don't fancy myself the smartest person on earth, but I felt like I was smart enough to be able to figure out how I was going to get that sparkle in my eye. Right. And so, again, prayed, thought a lot about it. And then one of the answers I got was just do some reading. Right. And the other one was find people who who are happy and what they do and how they got there. I just have to say that part of the reason that I wanted to play that is I, I love Randy's story. I met Randy because I was a part of an interview panel. We were interviewing him. Uh, to come to ServiceNow and to be a part of our next gen program and working on building a racial equity component into our ServiceNow NextGen program. And during the interview, he talked a little bit about his path from becoming a corporate litigator to having that epiphany that he talked about a little bit there, and then actually going into career development work and helping law students for, I think, well over a decade he did this work to find their path in their own careers. And so, you know, he found some work that he really, really enjoyed, but he had to pass through this, this experience that got him to the point where he could make that turn.
3: I, I, I may have made this observation already, but I, I can't help listening to Randy and, and thinking about all the, 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 colleagues that you've managed to bring into this. Every single one of them sounds so different than what I'm what I'm accustomed to hearing in like a business meeting, like it really just shows you the incredible unlock of letting people tell their stories, mm-hmm. and I, I I just don't think we do enough of that because people sound so passionate and so, you know, so candid and insightful. It's really impressive.
1: I I couldn't agree more. I, I did this unconscious bias uh, training with my team recently, and and I think one of the exercises. Oh, this may actually have been at our leadership summit. Uh, training that we did. But it was about, you know, what are the stories that people assume about you versus your own story? And giving anyone a chance to talk about themselves and explain, well, here's who I really am, not who you probably perceive me to be or what people assume about me um, is so powerful. It's so powerful. And everyone loves telling their story too. So it's such a great way to connect with people.
3: Too smart, too too smart to be unhappy will stick with me. That was uh, Yeah. Such a plotful statement.
1: Or I'm, I'm too valuable, right? Like my life matters too much. And, and I've been at that point, you know, and I I won't go into the the specifics about where I was in that moment in my career, but, um, there was a moment where I just said, you know what, life is too short to be treated this way. Uh, and I'm miserable. Like the, the sparkle had left my eye. I had not experienced that before my career. I'd been so lucky Um, to always have felt appreciated and valued and that I was contributing in a meaningful way. And then suddenly when, when that went away and I felt just not valued, even as a human, it was just like, oh, like this is, this is just not worth it. Like I, I, I need to be me. I need to be happy. um, And it's time to move on. And, you know, and, and even my husband's experienced that once in his career too. And it was just like, it's not worth it. Like, don't, put yourself through this anymore. And I know not everyone has that opportunity, right? It's not always possible to simply quit your job, (laughs) but, um, man, is it the, it's the worst feeling, you know, when, when that sparkle leaves your eye and you're dragging yourself to your job and you're, you're truly unhappy. That's, that's not a good place to be.
3: But I will say, I agree with you. you know, not everybody can just decide to quit, but there is something inherently liberating about reaching the conclusion that it is time for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Robert goes back to, you know, you, you looking at that data on great resignation. I think for a lot of people, this just feels like a moment where the the very act of deciding that they want to make a change makes them feel better.
1: Absolutely. And,
3: I'm not sure any of us can do anything about that. You know, it's just human nature at this moment in time.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, I'm just thinking about the time that we have left. And, you know, I I would love, I didn't, I didn't finish sharing one wrong story with you. Hey everybody, this is Robert coming in after the fact. I didn't get to play the rest of one wrong story for Nick and Amy because we ran out of time, but I'm going to play it for you in a minute here. And if you remember Earlier in the episode, Wanrong was talking about how she found purpose at work, uh, but this is really the story of her family, and I found it really compelling because it's a story that speaks to what makes us who we are, and ultimately how we carry that with us into the workplace.
4: So I think for me, what really drives me at work, I think first is it's really my family because you know all the support they've been providing for me, so. I really want to work hard so that you know there's a way for me to kind of repay them right but by giving them a better life we have quite a humble family background so my parents they they didn't even have a chance to complete their primary school education so you know their family are really really poor and it was really before time and you know when singapore was independent so i think They spent a lot of time in their years living in villages and uh, trying to get a living by selling fruits, you know, all this kind of stuff when they were younger. And then when they had my sister and I, eventually my mom became like a housewife. She was really spending her time taking care of my sister and I. And eventually she, she fell sick. So it was really a tough time because I think back then I was only like 10 years old when she was diagnosed with cancer. And it was really, really tough because um, my father had to wipe out a lot of his savings and my dad eventually fell sick as well. So it was like two weeks after my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer that my dad actually had, had a stroke as well. So it was quite a, a dark time, I think, in my life. But I think it was really through them that oh, I learned about really staying positive, I mean you never know... you never know when will be kind of your last day of life. So, I think it's really important to, you know, just... Uh, just be happy every day and <laughs> just live a life to the fullest. I think that's... that's really what I want to strive in my life also. Um, so, after my mom passed... passed on, uh, my dad actually took on the role as like, both my, my mom and dad. <laughs> so, it's, it's really very tough for him as well. But, you know, he... He made it and he really showed us that, you know, what, what does it mean to, um, to love us and, you know, just to provide the best for us. So I think, I mean, although, although like, you know, I've been through a lot, especially when I was younger. I think all this really helped us to kind of build resilience. You know, life is really not just about, not just about work, but of course, work is uh, plays a big role in my life.
0: For me, that really puts things into perspective, and I think it's a great place for us to end our reflection on the value of work. Wanrong's story shows that the things that motivate us at work and the things that we value at work often have deeply personal origins. And she brought up a great point at the end, which is that there's a whole lot more to life than work, but work is often a big part of our lives. So. I'm gonna drop you back into the conversation with Nick and Amy. We're just about to wrap the episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can always revisit this topic too, right? This seems like a pretty foundational topic, so no reason we can't weave it back in again.
0: Cool, hey, thanks for joining, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thanks you guys.
0: Awesome job. Inside Work is brought to you by ServiceNow and is hosted by Nick, Amy, and me, Robert. Our audio engineer is Cameron. I wanna say a big thank you to my colleagues whose voices you heard in this episode. Alexandra, Wanrong, Maya, Johanna, Randy. Thank you all for giving us so much to think about.